Okay, well, let's talk about Rage of the Yeti. Yes. Tell me uh, first how this all sort of came about. I think I know that you got a deal with Sci-Fi that was to uh, direct one and act in one. That was part. Yeah, of the we had Morlocks came up, and they said, "Look, we'd really like you to do this." I said, "Great, I will do it." Um, and uh, I think basically they said, "We'll do." And here's the price. And I said, "Tell you what, you want to let me direct? I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll consider it." So we. You know, it was sorry, it wasn't really a monetary decision. The point was, I, I blackmailed them into it, basically. You know, I said, "Great, I'll do more locks if you let me direct another one." So, nice. so this came up, and it was just—I really, I—I've always loved being on. I—I I thought I loved being an actor because I loved being on set, and I've discovered that I'm. Well, I think I'm a a competent actor. I, I don't think I'm good at being an actor, if that makes sense. <laughs> Living as an actor, I, I'm not a big fan of. So I, you know, I, and I've discovered with directing that I have just as much, if not more enjoyment of being on set because you're just an active part of being on set as opposed to just the, you know, the trained monkey, you know? So, um, so I, uh, you know, I was very eager to do something. And the thing about these movies is the budgets are so low. They're doing, you know, like 400 digital effects, you know, which are more than most of the, you know, most of the big budget movies that are out there. You're doing them in, you know, 14 days or whatever it is. I mean, insanely short schedules and turnarounds on these things. And, you know, um, and I, as a result, they are what they are. But but the point being is that for a director, I mean, it was like boot camp. I mean, I, yeah, I went in there and it was like, I'm going to get beaten up. I know, you know, and it was all about sort of having to think on your toes and really you had to know your stuff. And, and I learned, I learned so much, like as painful as it was, I just, I was like a sponge. I just sucked up all the, you know, all this stuff about filmmaking. And I really believe that you can't get a more difficult uh, and better training than trying to do a, a sci-fi movie, but then doing a sci-fi movie in a country that they don't understand what you're talking about. It must've been a really different experience from a dog's breakfast. Was this the, the first yeah. exposure that you had to sort of working for a network? Yeah, I mean that's well. That's the funny thing about it, and that's part of I think the the charm of doing these things. I mean, it, it is that with Dog's Breakfast, it, you know, it was, it was my movie. I mean, well, Jane and my movie. I mean, we you know we basically put most of the money in. We did all the work. It was yeah, you know to to get it made, and then we're just you know sort of relied on the on the kindness of strangers type thing. Uh, well, not even strangers. Basically, what do they say? People who invest in film are friends, fools, and family. Um, you know, so and we just used all the resources we could get from Stargate. And luckily, I wasn't that much of a of a dick on set. That the crew actually wanted to work with me out of off season as well. But uh, you know, then with these movies, you're dealing with all of the politics that comes with a network movie. I mean, you're dealing. It's almost like doing a studio movie because I mean, I can only assume because. But, you know, from what I've seen from doing studio movies from the acting standpoint, you're dealing with all the politics, you're dealing with the notes, you're dealing with the, the, the limited budget and, you know, expectations and all this kind of stuff. And so it's, it really is an interesting kind of juggling act because directing is, directing is really just a management position. I mean, certainly the way I see it. I mean, I think there are people who are some dictator-like um, um, directors and I think they're, you know, they're probably much, they're probably much more versed in this stuff than I am. But, but for me, it's a management position. You're basically managing people and managing expectations and managing budgets and 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 uh, schedules and stuff. So, right, right. It, you know, on these things where, you know, I, we shot, we were supposed to shoot five days on the mountain, and we ended up getting 
three days on the mountain, and two of them we were snowed out and couldn't get past the, the parking lot. So, wow. you know, you change, the film changes pretty quickly when that happens, you know. And equipment doesn't show up because people get mis- misunderstood what somebody said, and, you know, there's all sorts of issues with, you know, you asked for something, and something else was cheaper, and it's just such a different, it's such a different work environment. It's, it's, it's you know, it's almost like a, a, a cartoon version of making a, of making a film here, you know. Um, but that said, it's not that they're not talented. It's not that they don't have the resources. And, and what UFO has out there is incredible. I mean, these guys, these guys churn out these movies, and and it's uh, um, and they've and their 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 guys are are fantastic to work with. But it's just that you know, there's already it's already it's very difficult to communicate on a set as it is anyways. But to communicate on a set where the <laughs> where they truly don't speak your language. Is a is a is an interesting experience, you know. But still, you know, how often does it does an, an actor who wants to direct get to direct a movie that takes place seven thousand feet up a mountain that has this kind of CG effects? You know, um, you're working with old pros like you know uh, the Chokichi and and uh, the fantastic Yancey Butler, you know, who's just who's just so such a character. Like I just love her. I, I want to put her in every single thing I ever make. She's just such a such an amazing, uh, just an amazing woman. I, I love her. She's out there again doing another movie now. I mean, they. Mm. So, did you have to to literally have a, a sort of translator at your side? Well, yes and no. We had I had um, I had ads who translated for me to some extent, and, uh, and this is part of the stuff, though. I mean, I don't. I I, I had asked for a translator originally. They're like, no, you don't need a translator. We got we got a, our our ads are fine. And I think it's a budgetary thing where they just don't want to spend any more money. But, you know, the ADs were fantastic, but they're not translators. So, and they're doing a job. Like, ADs don't have time to tell you what people are saying to you. They only have time to react to what's happening, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so you end up missing a lot of stuff. And I ended up, luckily I had, again, I had friends. I'd worked with a lot of these people before on other movies. So, like, I had this scripty who I just loved, who was, like, the best, this, this fantastic, uh, I believe she's an Israeli woman who's just, this wonderfully crazy but incredibly, incredibly knowledgeable uh, script supervisor who who helped me out with a lot of stuff and translations and stuff. So, how long were you in Bulgaria for? I was there for about I ended up being about a month. I think it was. Um, no, more than that. It's got to be more than that. It must have been must have been almost two months. How many shooting days did you do? Uh, I think it was about I think it was about fourteen days. So seven, four, so five, ten. No, probably I'm guessing about twenty. Guessing about twenty days. It was so long ago now. I can I can't remember. Yeah. It was a good a good year ago. But um, so it was like a little bit more than a double episode of, of Atlantis would have been. A little bit more than a double episode. Yes, yes, you're right. Yes, but again, but none of that containment, right? Because mm-hmm. you have to build all the sets. Everything's from scratch. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I was running around there going like, "What do you have? Let's use what you've got because it's going to save us time and money." And um, next time, I'm just going to go and demand stuff. I think. <laughs> but it was. Uh, it was it was a it was absolutely amazing experience. Like I have nightmares about it and some very funny stories, but I, I still I still feel it was important to me. Like I feel I feel like I'm earning my I'm earning my stripes here. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm stepping well out of my comfort zone and 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 really sort of you know learning how to how to work. You know, so uh, it's it's amazing. I would do it again in a second. I mean, I was bugging about yeah. it the other day actually. You know. I would love to do something in North America now, or can't, you know, specifically Canada because I know the crews. But um, I'm really hoping to get, um, uh, you know, to get one of these, uh, one of these sci-fi films done um, up, up there, you know, because obviously it'd be great to be able to, 
um, to use the resources I have and the resources they have and, and really do something special. Right. Yeah. Not that this wasn't special. This is a fun. This is uh, this is a. It's fun. I, I call it awful fun. <laughs> you know, as I do with all these movies. I mean, they're they are what they are. You know, but the nature of these things is that they're not. You're not. You're supposed to revel in the. I think you're supposed to revel in the. You know, over the top gore and the and the uh, you know the somewhat suspect uh, effects at times. And uh, right. you know, I think that's part of their their charm. Um, you know, I. Uh, well, you do see some some complaints out there about the the Saturday Night Fair, but they're among sci-fi's most watched shows or programming. I mean, some of these of viewers who don't follow any of the regular shows will happily pop on for two hours on a Saturday night and watch a creature feature. I mean, they get like two or three million people watching. Them. Well, that's it. I mean, I, I, you know, I call it, I call them my monster pieces. I mean, they're, they're, they're the stuff I grew up with. I mean, it's, you know, I sure they can be quite Ed Wood sometimes. And certainly the experience of making them could be very sort of Ed Wood. Um, but they, you know, there's a, a certain type of person and I, and I'm one of them. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very lucky. I get to work and doing the things that I, that I, if I wasn't making these movies, I'd be watching them. You know, I mean, like I, I just, I, I, I really have a strange fascination for all of this stuff. You know, I mean, I'm on Netflix all the time. You know, downloading odd little movies and watching them at late at night when everyone else is asleep, uh, or should or should be asleep in the case of Beth. Um, so I, I, I just really, I, I'm so, I feel very sort of uh, lucky to be able to to make them. I mean, you know, so but they are again, they are. They're a specific type of movie, and I think, you know, you come into them with a sense of humor, you come into them with a, a sense of, you know, you suspend your disbelief on stuff. And I think you just, you know, it's more about, uh, you know, it's, it's, they, they become about the characters and they become about, um, you know, the whole sort of ludicrousness of the whole situation. You know, I mean, the, you know, these guys are being chased by giant, by giant, you know, snow orangutans, you know, they're like my, <laughs> my, my evil snow monkeys, you know, but it's just, you know, it's. It's fun. And my son, I mean, I obviously didn't show the entire movie to my son, but he saw a few, a few stills. And over the time, I would talk about my evil snow monkeys. And I just, I think there's a childish, you know, there's a bit of a, I feel like a bit of a, of a, I feel sort of a warm, fuzzy feeling about these things because, you know, they're, they're just being such a part of my childhood and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that is, is definitely definitely something there's definitely something to them and i understand why people sit down on a saturday night and grab a big thing of popcorn and i personally take the popcorn and then put the spicy sauce on it as well but um and then um you know and watch a and watch a, a wonderfully cheesy sci-fi movie that's what you know what these are for well tell me a little bit about the the story itself i assume that this is something that sci-fi sort of had in the hopper and brought to you that you didn't necessarily bring the idea to them no i w- yeah i mean i you know in an ideal world i would love to be you know a part of all aspects of this, but you know, this was—I was very fortunate. I mean, it was—it was, it was uh, Craig Engler, who's one of the um, uh, who works at Sci-Fi. is a, is a um, he looks after all their. Uh, he's basically their digital guy. He's their—he's their new media guy. Oh, they don't call it new media anymore. Whatever they transmedia, whatever they call it now. But um, he and uh, a fellow by the name of Brooks, uh, who I've forgotten his second name now, but um, uh, the two of them wrote the script, and it was their first Sci-Fi movie, and. You know they're very familiar with the genre and they're fans of the genre. So um, you know, and I, and I like what they did with it. I mean, they, I, I, I'm very glad that we we got that I got a movie that was that has a history to it. That has a they've taken these characters, they pulled, you know, they've they've they played on the existing history for these things, you know, and, and crafted a movie around that. And I think that's very clever and certainly appeals to me more than 
um, than some of the the more sort of random you know acts of gamma ray or you know or 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 solar flare or whatever it is that causes these things to happen. To me, this one at least has a sort of a connection with reality because of its uh, you know of, of the sort of the, the historical Yeren thing that they have going on, the Yeren of these these Chinese Yeti basically, and uh, uh, so that's kind of, that's kind of fun. Um, there's the, actually my favorite, well, not my favorite scene. There's a ton of favorite scenes, depending on how bloody or gory you want to go, or funny. There's a great scene where um, where one of the characters, um, James Patrick Moran, uh, Ted, Ted, that's he played Ted. So James Patrick Moran has has this book about the Yaren, and it's this little history of of uh, you know of of what happened, how these things ended up, you know, trapped in the ice, basically. And um, uh, and he sits there and he opens up the the book and he starts reading it to everybody and slowly the entire cast comes in and circles around him and listens to him as he reads about these horrific, be- these horrific beasts that, you know, can wipe out armies. And, you know, there's just a bunch of guys out stuck in a, you know, a, a Quonset hut in the middle of, in the middle of nowhere. So, uh, and I, t- to me, I love that scene because of, for, on so many levels, one, because I love that there's a, you know, there's the you know big old book that opens up with pictures of these monsters. And secondly, it's because we were absolutely screwed for time. And I had to say to the crew, the cast, look, I know as an actor that I think you're going to hate me for this, but I don't, I have time for one shot. <laughs> so I'm going to just have it on the book. I'm going to, I'm going to have it on John as, as we pull back. And then I'm going to slowly, I'm going to pull out and you guys are all going to walk in the frame and stand behind him. Like he's reading you a book. And as painful as it was to have to say that to actors, it just works. You know what I mean? And I, I just, I, I sort of, I feel really good about that scene because I feel to me it was not only about the movie, but it's also about me as a director going like, here are my limitations. Here are the, here are the limitations I have. You have a, it's all about being given a problem and then solving it. And I love that. And it's something that you rarely get to do with acting. With acting, it just comes down to lines and emotions and stuff. And, and you solve problems by, you know, if necessary, changing a line. But for the most part, I... You take the lines you've got and you make them work, and that's your only problem. As a director, you've got all these different things you have to solve, and it's just so all-encompassing and, and overwhelming, and and you know just wonderfully sort of fulfilling when it when it works. You know, so is there a way in which that that maybe helps the energy on the set to have sort of a a guerrilla mentality of hey, we only have time for, to do this once, so. Yeah, it's a certain type of actor. I mean, that, that that works well with that. I mean, in these movies, and I've done obviously a number of them now, um, and on Stargate for that matter. If you come in with an attitude, you know that you you know that you somehow think you're above the material, or that you're if you're precious at all about about the the acting, I think I think you're in for a horrible surprise. You're not going to enjoy these experiences. I mean, it's about it really is run and gun. All these things. Stargate was the same way. I mean, Stargate. You know, while it had a lot more money and, and probably more time and stuff, it still came down to the fact that you know we shot an awful lot of stuff in a very short period of time, and so you have to know your lines, you have to lose the attitude, and you have to you know have to do your work. And I think we were very lucky with Stargate that we had all those people. And then Rage of the Yeti, same thing. I mean, you know, Chokichi and and again Yancy Butler, who I really can't go on about enough. I mean, she's just fabulous. Um, they just know their stuff. There's, it's that line between you have to take it serious, seriously enough. You, you have to be able to laugh at it. You have to be able to laugh with it. And then you have to be able to shut up and do the work, which is to make people uh, feel the peril, feel the, the, the fear and, and all that stuff. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, because take if it you're, seriously when the cameras yeah, are rolling, 
Yeah, if you're winking at the camera and, and, and again, you know, indicating to the audience that you're somehow better than this, they, you lose them. And I think I, I'm always very irritated when I see people do that because I think it's such a cheap, a cheap way to go. And so, and it really is. It, I think it forces you to be a really good actor. I mean, the Brits are very good at this. Um, you know, the British actors, we were had an amazing cast, you know, which, which allowed us to do a lot. I mean, a lot of these movies, we were talking about this earlier this morning. A lot of these movies, you just start with a couple of very thick Slavic accents talking about something and you know, they're going to be dead in the first two minutes. We were lucky enough to get, you know, really good actors. Like, I mean, uh, the, the guy who played, um, Jonas was just, uh, sorry, J- 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 Jason Jonas. We had, we had, uh, Matt Anderson and, and David Chokichi playing the brothers, which is amazing. Yancey again, uh, Laura Haddock, who's just this beautiful British actress who was, who was just, again, just brought this fantastic personality to, uh, to the role. And uh, and Jonas Armstrong, who's this, I, he's he's Robin Hood. I mean, he's like this amazing, <laughs> incredible actor, and I have him in like the lousiest role in the movie, but he does such a great job. And I wish I had more for him to do, but he was just God. He has there's some scenes there that just want to you just you know tear your heart out. They're just fantastic. Um, they tear your heart out, and then they literally tear your heart out. But you know, uh, <laughs> that's that's the beauty of sci-fi. But you know, he knows how to do that, you, you know. And James Patrick Moran, a beautiful woman called um, uh, Rosalind Halstead, who played Linda, who was just unbelievable. Like, just is fantastic. Again, I, I had t- talent that was far beyond the roles that we had for them, but I was lucky enough to get them. And, you know, everyone needs a paycheck. So we got to sort of, I think, play with the genre a bit where, where things weren't perhaps quite as obvious as they would be in other in other situations. You know. And you're, you're on camera at some point in this? I am, yes. I can't seem to avoid, I can't seem to avoid it. I, I always, I hate, I always hate it when actors write movies for themselves and direct movies with them in it and stuff. But the, the fact of the matter is, you know, that's, that's my in, that's what I do. That's what yeah. people want. Uh, certainly, you know, it's, you know, it's good for the network. It's good for the film. So, um, and it's, you know, one less mouth to feed and, and it, it saved us a fortune on the budget. Um, because I work, I worked incredibly cheaply on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but again, it, tell me you're the red shirt who gets ripped apart by the Yeti before the opening credits. I wish, I wish I was speaking <laughs> in a Slavic accent and then killed. But no, I of course end up being you know Mister Exposition again, and I'm just. Uh, it's a great role. It's a role that I wish they would. I mean, I talked to Craig about it, about seeing if there was any way of bringing him back because he's this character called Mills, and he's this, he's a billionaire. Basically, the idea is he's kind of like a dot-com billionaire, mm-hmm. and he just runs around the world buying technology that he shouldn't have, like giant planes, like military planes and Soviet submarines and, and you know helicopters, Chinook helicopters and things, just spending this money and learning how to fly these different vehicles and stuff, and then searching for random treasures that he thinks they want that sound interesting. Oh, that sounds, you know, the, the codex, that sounds interesting. Let's get that. You know, and he's just this fantastic character. I'd love to, hey, you know, if this does well, maybe he will come back. But, um, you know, it was a really fun part to play, you know, with or without the directing. But um, I find I don't enjoy the acting as much when I'm directing because uh, it becomes a nuisance. It becomes something in the way of of the directing, you know, Uh, because it's, you know, acting is surprisingly time consuming. There's a lot of lines to learn and, and it's very hard to run a set and be on on camera at the same time so yeah have your head in in two different spaces at the same time exactly i mean as a result i honestly think my acting improves because this i'm thinking about it so little that i think it's so much more natural in some ways than than it it was when i was just an actor 
but uh, and I love I do love it. I mean, I do. I, I think I would very very much miss acting if I didn't if I didn't do it. So um, and as I say, this is I got. I mean. I, I got the best role. I mean, it's, it's such a fantastic role. Okay, well, when we do sit down to watch the movie, what uh, what's the sort of insider secret that, that we should watch for? The <laughs> viewer is not going to know. When that none of us knew. Nobody knew what the Yaren were going to look like. Nobody. We didn't oh, know what right, the, right. And in fact, when I see the movie now, I mean, again, these I, with the way these movies are made, is again, it's very different than, than Dog's Breakfast, which I was a part of, like, every single aspect of that movie. Like, Dog's Breakfast is, I had... I, you know, I, I really, you know, that, that's entirely me. Um, well, you know, me and, and my, you know, Jane and my, you know, the whole team, but, but, but it's, I made decisions on that with, um, with this one, uh, you know, the biggest part was the being on set and the, the actual directing and the, the pre-production stuff. Once, you know, once you leave Bulgaria, you know, the movie sort of really takes on a life of its own. I mean, I, I'm afraid I had very limited involvement from there, but um, so it's, it was funny to sit down and watch the movie and go like, "Oh, that's what they did with that," <laughs> now, about a movie that you you know actually you know allegedly directed. But um, uh, you know that said, that's the way these go, and you know it's it's um, you know and it's also just timing stuff. I mean, you, you sort of can't wait around for this stuff. You got to keep you got to sort of keep moving. So, but that said, it's um, I, I think yes, there's no we had no idea what the, what the Yeti were going to look like. It sort of walks this line where they're sort of they have this this sort of power of, a, of invisibility, which I joke they're not terribly good at because you can see them. <laughs> but the idea is their 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 fur sort of reflects the snow and stuff. The reality is when you actually mm. see the movie, it's I, I sort of joke that maybe they're not very smart because they they think they're invisible, <laughs> but <laughs> they're not. Uh, like because we keep saying how you know what do we do? We got invisible monsters chasing us. I was like, yeah, but you just saw them. So it's it's just I mean you know it's 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 fun. I think the thing to keep in mind is yeah, there's nothing there. You know, all these guys, poor actors, are running around screaming and shouting and being torn apart by things that just aren't there. And one of the hardest things to do, you know, I think for me, being such an uptight person, is to is to, you know, when you're on a set and someone says, "Okay, you're on the ground, you're in a snowsuit, now you're being attacked by this monster, so go." Mm-hmm. And then this poor man, like. This guy is a fantastic actor, by the way, Mark uh, and Mark Diamond, who who played Bud at the very beginning, who was kind of our. I shouldn't say that, should I? I won't tell you. I can't tell you what's going to happen to him, but he um, he was just sort of mis- he misled, I think, people at the beginning in a great way. So his character is supposed to sort of mislead, t- take people down the wrong the wrong road, and uh, you know, this poor guy shows up for one day, and like the first thing he's got to do is like lie on the ground and pretend to be killed mm. by him. He's like, "How big is it?" I'm like, "I don't know." <laughs> you know, does it have claws? I don't know. Is it eating it with its mouth? Not sure. Just a lot of screaming and waving around, please. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's, um, you can consider that. And you can also consider that, that Yancey Butler, no matter how serious and dangerous she looks at all times, when that camera is not on her, she is laughing. Mm-hmm. She is so funny and constantly cracking up and cracking people up. But she is, I just, God, I, I just, I, I owe her so much. She was so fantastic. You know, you're working under circumstances. I mean, it's freezing cold. You know, they don't really, people are much, they are much more rugged in Bulgaria. I would die. They would snap me like a twig if I, if I was born in Bulgaria. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, you know, it's a whole different type of, 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 of life there. And, um, uh, and, and certainly for actors who are used to being looked after on movie sets, it's a very different, <laughs> very different experience. So they are, we are very lucky that I had actors that would, would put up with a lot of the stuff they did. So. 
Now, would they describe you as an actor's director since you not only <laughs> acted so much, but you've done science fiction and you've done like looking at things that are not there and running and screaming? I don't know. You have to bug them. You have to ask them about it. I, 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 I like to think that I helped a bit. I, you know what it was? I think the biggest help was just being able to apologize, was being able to come in and go, look, I'm sorry. I know this is incredibly frustrating for you, but let me explain why this is happening. You know, that was really, I felt that was useful. Like I knew when, I felt like I knew when I needed to apologize. And I think a lot of directors don't, or a lot of directors apologize all the time to the point where you're like, well, what's, you know, what, why, you know? So I think it was, I, mean, I definitely made mistakes, huge mistakes with people. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, you know, uh, you always do, I think. And each one of these is so different. But I, I, I just, uh, yeah, I, I hope, I, I felt like I've been on shows where you've seen the, you've seen the, the cast pull away from the director. And, and you know it. I mean, it's very obvious when you lose. When you lose a cast, it's very, very obvious. Or when you lose a director, it's very obvious. I mean, when they, when they go off somewhere else, the same thing. I mean, I've seen both happen. I've been doing this a long time. I've broken many of them. So it was nice on this one as I really felt like, I, I felt like they were with me for the whole adventure. You know, and I think that's, you know, that's very important. That was, I think, the most, that's probably the most satisfying part of it is that we, I came out of there and I, you know, and, and Yancey still wants to talk to me. Chokichi still wants to, you know, come over for coffee and, you know, Matt and I are still in communication all the time, and you know, I think I, I think that's a good thing to come out of because it, it could have gone could have gone very different. I've done I've done these movies where you know, I, you know watching a director have a conversation with an actor who just can't stand them. It's so mm-hmm. just painful, you know. And God knows, I've been that actor sometimes. I mean, you know, I, so I know it from both sides. Is it is it your goal to do more work on the directing side? Yeah, I'd like to. I, I have I had a really interesting conversation with a guy. Um, uh, the other night, uh, he was here for AFM, and um, he's an old friend of mine. He, he was involved in uh, a number of Vincenzo's films, um, uh, Vincenzo Tally's films, like Splice. And, uh, did he do Splice? I guess he did do Splice. Anyways, a number of these films. And, he's, and I've got a, I'm working on a film with him right now that I'm, that I'm writing. And he was saying, he's saying, so, you know, what are you, you going to do? And I said, oh, I, I love the writing and directing. And he's like, yeah, well, that's nice, but you've got to act. So maybe, maybe it's writing and acting. You know, his point is like you've got to. I, I have to play to my strengths, and I and 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 you know, I can't throw. I can't write, direct, and act in everything. It just won't. Doesn't work. Is that because it's in your blood, or because it pays the bills? No, I mean the acting is. I mean, I have a love hate. I've always had a love hate relationship with acting. I mean, I tried to quit acting years ago. I went off and did you know computer programming and network engineer. I was you know I, I did everything I could not to act, but then a part came up where I was playing. So I was I was really a nerd, and then I got a part where I got to play a nerd, and pay, playing a nerd pays much better and is a lot more fun and allows you affords you you know and and access as well. I mean, when you play a nerd, all of a sudden you get to play with all these technologies. No, when I was actually a network engineer who needed these things, no one came and gave me free cell phones to try out and stuff. But when you're acting as one, that's the first thing they do. So there's there's something very strange about the film industry that there's an appeal to it. There's a there's a magic to it that I think that I think you get, that you get sort of addicted to. And I, I really do love acting. I hate being an actor, but I love acting, if that makes sense. You know, I don't like the audition process. I don't like, you know, how sort of inconsequential the actor is in the scheme of things, really, unless you're a massive star, you know. Uh, and, you know, I don't like the uncertainty of being an actor, but it's, it's, it's something I'm always going to do because I know I'm going to miss it if I don't. You know, so so and, and as a result, the stuff I've been focusing on is has been uh, 
you know, there's definitely some projects that I would, that I'd like to, that having written, I will, I will direct. And I usually now write, I've sort of resigned myself to the fact that I write myself a part in the movie. I don't write myself leads, but I write parts that I could play that should it come to that, should that become something that helps the movie? Great. I could step in. And if not, great, I can cast some other poor, poor schmuck to play the part. Um, so that's basically been our, you know, my approach. This film, this film I have with, with, uh, with Copperheart, the, the, the Spice Guys, and the Spice Guys who I think are also about to do, we'll see, I mean, I'm not sure if it's actually finalized or not, but, but um, Dragon Riders of Perm, they have that right now. Oh, wow. Um, which would be amazing. I mean, this guy's, uh, you know, Steve is unbelievable. Like, he's just such a talented guy. Was it Ron Moore that was working on that a few years ago? Yeah, 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 and um, uh, yeah, it's it's been through a number of hands now. I think uh, I'm not sure who's who's on it now. I'm not sure what's sort of public and what's not. So I should probably be careful. But mm-hmm. but he um, but Steve is like he's a nerd. He's a great great uh, producer guy who's, who's been doing. He produced like Elevated with Vincenzo way back before Cube even got made. Uh, did, did he do actually? Yeah, no, he did. Of course, he did. And um, I, it's almost, I almost I almost assume that he's involved in everything because he's just been around for so long. But he um, he gave us some great. I came, you know, Jane and I took him this pitch for this this movie that, that we wanted to do, which is a very low budget sort of sci fi horror thing, very cube like uh, sci fi horror. And uh, so I thought, oh great, I'll take it to the guy. You know, he's, he's, he knows this stuff. So, and he was just fantastic. I mean, he got very excited about it, and 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 the notes that him and his his team came up with were really smart. Like sometimes notes are so irritating, you know, but his were just bang on. Like he really knows his stuff. And uh, and I I think uh, you know things look very promising on that. I, I hope. And it also makes sense. I mean, it's a science fiction. It's a science. It's a sci-fi film. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. It, it, it helps that I'm involved in something like that. So, uh, so that's sort of be my approach. I've got some films that I would very strongly feel I'd like to direct like that, but as a fallback, I can always be an actor in it and uh, having written it. Um, and then I've been working with Kate, uh, my little sister who oh. is, uh, is a very good writer and went through the, the, the Canadian film center program, the Norma Jewison center there. And we've been asked to pitch a number of, uh, of television shows basically that would be, would center around the, the uh, a brother sister dynamic. So we've come up, yeah, it really would. I mean, and it's really fun to work with chicks. We we're very, we have very similar senses of humor and senses of you know, and, and interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, no, actually, our interests are very different. But we, but we, I think we get excited about the same kind of stuff. So, so we have some procedural stuff that we're going to be pitching, and some sort of comedy stuff, and some fringe like stuff. I mean, it's, it's really, I'm really excited. We've got a, we got a number of pitches, and I, I, I have a feeling that. Um, if we get the right people, I think that, that we're uh, uh, that, that the response will be good. So hmm, that's great. But, and we're Canadian, right? So this uh, Canada is a great place to be making television right now. Yeah. Do you have anything that's sort of further along in the pipe right now, where where fans can be sort of watching out for your guest appearance <laughs> on NCIS or something like that? No, I I've been I've been really bad about. I mean, I haven't been auditioning. I just haven't. It's funny you say okay. NCS because that, that was actually one that came up recently in Fringe and that kind of stuff. It just, I mean, they're all shows that I really like, but doing guest stars right now, it, it just takes me away from, from the writing. And I think I need, I really need to focus on that. So I've got Debug is the name. It's, it's the, the, the working title is called Debug of this, of this film that I'm, that I've just, I've actually just sent off the second draft to, these, to, to, uh, to Copperheart to see what's it they have to say about it but okay, um, this is a sci-fi film you're writing it and you're hoping to direct it yeah yeah cool. yeah it's a it's a sci-fi horror so it's a and we, i mean it's 
sci-fi horror, everything that I write will always have a certain sense of humor to it. It, it doesn't, I, I can't help myself, mm-hmm. but, um, but it's basically, uh, it's a, it's a sci-fi horror. And, um, uh, we even, um, in planning to do it, uh, well, that, and basically what we did was we have the show Starcross as well, which is a show that we've been working on forever. Right. Right. Um, and that's now beginning to sort of bubble back up to the surface again. We'll see what happens with that. Um, yeah, I like but, to that. oh my God, I wish I had more to tell you. Like it, it's, <laughs> I keep hearing all this really exciting stuff, and then I'm and I'm just not until someone actually does something. I can't. I you know, there's nothing to say. But this is just a project that's. I mean, as, almost as long as I've known you, I think one of the interview questions has been, "And what's up with Star?" It's it will not die. I mean, I you know I've given up on it a couple of times now, and it it just keeps coming back in some way, shape, or form. Someone someone calls and says, "Hey, what about this?" You know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've been talking with the guy who did Reese, you know, the Reese, the series. Yeah. Um, yeah. A fantastic guy, Ryan. And, and he's, uh, you know, he's taken an interest in Starcross and really wants to make it happen. So he's been, he's been, he's been helping us take it out there and using his connections and stuff, which are considerable now, given his success with, with Reese and stuff. So, you know, he's been sort of instrumental with that. And, and I, you know, God bless him because, because, you know, I, you know, I just, I keep moving on. You know I mean? I'm constantly trying to keep something on the, I, I constantly want something, you know, in the works. So I have a number of things going and, and, uh, but Starcrossed, uh, Starcrossed is the one that keeps coming back. But so the point of that was that for Starcrossed, we needed a set because a large part of the, of the show takes place on the set of this Starcrossed show. So when SGU got canceled, uh, they were tearing down the sets. And so we said, well, if you're tearing them down, can we have a chunk of them? And, um, so, and they said, well, yeah, fine, we're not going to, we're going to pull it apart. As long as you pay to get rid of it, it works. Yeah, that's fine with us. So we got, uh, the whole shuttle set basically oh, wow. in two trailers in Vancouver, sitting in two trailers in Vancouver. Um, wow. just in storage. Yeah, just in storage. So basically for the cost of storage, we've got this fantastic set. So once we started spending money on storage, I went, okay, I just read my book on, on Roger Corman and, and how he made a million movies for a buck. And I went, okay, if we've got this set, I need a number of other movies that we can, or a number of other things that we could be shooting on this set. Um, and then as the final resort, I will marry Stargate fans on it in costume or something like that. You know, I need to pay my bills. <laughs> it's all about amortization. Exactly. So, you know, so Starcross was one of these ones. Oh, well, obviously I got it for Starcross, but then Debug came up because I went, okay, I've got the spaceship set. And it's fantastic. I want to use it. You know, let's. We've got something very nice, light and bubbly with with uh, with Starcross. Now let's do something really dark and you know get to play with the horror aspect of stuff. And there's some stuff in Debug that's so cool. If we get to do it, I can't. Like it's some amazing uh, effect stuff that I've I've never seen. That I'm, I'm really I'm really hoping we get to pull off. So, and then we have, and then one of the one of the shows that I'm working on with my sister has it as a bar. <laughs> Basically, there's this there's this sci-fi fan who. Who uh, starts a bar and and and, and recreates the, the inside of his favorite science fiction show's ship in it, and then serves drinks and they play Dungeons and Dragons and uh, <laughs> all that kind of stuff in this in this in this sort of like uh, um, um, sort of repurposed film set. So you know, and basically, uh, it's just a way of making sure that uh, that our money is well spent at some point. So, um, and it's great. It's a great way to come up with ideas. You know, I'm always like with Dog's Breakfast was about finding out what we had, what resources did we have, what people did we have, and then saying, okay, how do I make a story out of that? Because most people go off and write a story and then go, oh, okay, now how are we going to do this? 
And I think when you're dealing with the budgets that we deal with, you've really got to be, you got to be looking at what you've got and seeing and then writing to that rather than vice versa. Now, we, we know you're a big sci-fi fan. I'm sort of curious what you're watching these days. I know because I follow you on Twitter that you're following Secret Circle. Secret Circle, well, I, I'll Secret tell you, shows. yeah, when I got into Secret Circle, I mean, uh, you know, uh, you know, full disclosure, my, my friend Andrew Miller uh, is, is basically, you know, he's basically running that thing. Um, I mean, he wrote the original pilot, and then um, Andrew Miller is basically instrumental to that show, and he's a very old friend of mine. He was in Cube. He played uh, the, uh, the sort of the idiot savant, um, whose name I've forgotten, in, in, in Cube. But he's a writer, fantastic writer, fantastic friend of mine. And he has started doing a show, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll watch the pilot and see, just to support my friend type thing. And basically, I've been glued ever since. I'm not <laughs> really, I enjoy it. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's far too young for me, but it's just fun to watch. It's like, you know, I mean, I did an episode of Hellcats, um, you know, which is the same same audience and and uh, you know but not really my genre at all and this one you know, this one has witches and, and there's some fun magic stuff and it, it really sort of is very clever at, at making you feel a bit like a kid again like I, I that feeling of you know like with Stargate where I feel that the strength of Stargate was about was was always reminding people that wow everything that you thought might exist in your imagination really does it really is happening you know like that, mm-hmm. that's science fiction to me is that feeling of like, oh, I was right, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Secret Circle and Andrew's been very good at capturing that same feeling, only with witchcraft, you know what I mean? Like that, oh my God, see, if I do concentrate hard enough, I can make, you know, I can make water droplets appear, uh, you know, float in the air. And I can, I can, you know, toss my my arch nemesis out of a, out of a window without even, with a flick of a wrist and stuff, you know? And as a kid, I... Not that I wanted to kill people with magic when I was a kid, but you know, in that Harry Potter like way, I think there's there's a charm, it's a real charm to the show that I that I that I that I like. So it started off as a loyalty exercise, and then I really just got caught into the show. What do you think is is the state of the science fiction genre right now? It's not good, I'd have to say. I I don't know about everyone else, but I miss I miss space based science fiction. I really do. I understand why it's not around because it's expensive and stuff, but I, I do I do miss that. You know, even when I look for movies at night, you know, on Netflix and stuff, I'm still looking for I I, I want to see spaceships. I want to see other planets. I, I you know, I I loved that kind of science fiction. You know, uh, I mean also I mean I love I was also a huge fan of cyberpunk as, as well. So, you know, the neuromancers and that that kind of I, I love the computer based stuff. But they're all again, like Tron. You know what I mean? It was so nice. To, I didn't love the neutron, but I loved the I got to go to that world again. Um, I just wish it didn't have to be done on such a big budget because I find those big movies tend to be this horrible sort of democratic process that turns out very generic films. You know what I mean? Yeah. I suppose that's what I liked most about the movie was that it was such an important part of my childhood. Yes. And like the way you put it, I got to go back. Yeah, I think that's it. I think there's definitely a nostalgia factor. Certainly with science fiction, and certainly with the sci-fi movie, these Saturday Saturday sci-fi movies as well. There's a certain nostalgia factor there that I really, I yeah, really. And the characters are there, and you know Bruce yeah. Boxleitner's there. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's I, that's that's it. I, I I think this it definitely played on that a lot. I'm curious to know. I mean, my son wanted to watch it. I mean, he sat down and watched the first little bit. I mean, he's four, so it's it's a bit much for him. But but you know, he certainly he liked all the lights and stuff. I mean, the stuff that you know he it, it appealed to him. You know, well, I mean, that's what we remember first, isn't it? We remember the light cycles. Yeah, first. yeah. And I mean, I had to rewatch it as an adult before I had any clue about what the story was. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. I, I, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like Star Trek, it was great to see the Star Trek movie again, you know? I, I think, I, I, you know, I mean, there are, there are always, there's always problems. I mean, as soon as you start making big movies, there's just things that you have to do, and, and I find that frustrating. But, I, I mean, to, when as, a, as a viewer, as an audience, I find it, I crave something new, you know what I mean? Like something, so I think, I think the state of science fiction, I think, I think we're going to see a lot more of this, you know, Earth-based science fiction. My hope is, though, that as digital effects become less and less expensive, that we may be able to go further and further back towards the stuff that, that you know, that we all sort of know and love. Yeah, I hope so. I, my worry about sort of the state of science fiction on television right now is that it's all about sort of accessibility. Mm. So you have so many shows that are set on Earth, that are set in the present day, that are just... Appeal to the boy-girl demographic, you know, got yeah, I mean, flirtatious relationships and... Yeah, and the, the sort of that character, I know I recognize that, that yeah. sort of trope. Um, yeah, and it's it's just sort of because when when we first started having original programming, especially on basic cable, it was it was so niche, mm-hmm. and a, a channel like Sci-Fi could do a show like Farscape that mm-hmm. was so niche. Yeah, um, well, but that's... everything's just sort of sort of spreading out and becoming more sort of homogenized now. But that's I think that's where uh, I mean you know not to give too much away. One of the people we've been talking about Starcross is is a big internet content provider. And, um, you know, I think that's the interesting thing for me where there's, you know, those neat, those, those little niches are going to show up again and they're going to be, you know, uh, look, the stuff you can do with After Effects and Final Cut Pro and, and, and these cameras that are out there now. I mean, you know, I, I've been watching some of the fan Star Trek stuff. I mean, when you can do that, you know, there are going to be channels and people who can do that stuff you know when you look at youtube look at the you know freddie w stuff you know like those are you know, those are industry standard effects now being done by you know basically a couple of kids and i mean he's not a kid but you know they're basically kids in a basement you know what i mean like it's i think that we're gonna see that happen on the internet i, I think you know i and i think as a model television is a great model because there's there's a there's a it's easier to monetize than films you know what i mean um you know, when you see a film like, like a good example was um, Monsters. I don't know if you ever saw that independent film uh, about um, Mexican border. Basically, it not only divides the country, it divides you know us from these enemy, this enemy, this 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 alien enemy type thing. But it's it's mm-hmm. tiny budget movie, and this guy has basically done his own effects for it. Shot the whole thing with a little cheap camera, and you know, and it stands up to any of the big movies that are out there. Uh, and I think that while that's going to be, I think, difficult to do uh, with feature films, it's something that could work as a web series. I mean, you know, look at Machinima stuff. Machinima stuff's amazing. I mean, they've got a new receiver show out there, which is, it's like X-Files. It's like, it's, you know, it's X-Files with better, you know, better special effects, you know, because it's just so many years down the road. You know, um, you know, Felicia, Felicia Day's doing her Dragon Age stuff. I mean, I think that would never happen on television. Not not anymore, but it's happening on the web. Um, that's very exciting to me. So I think so. I think while I'm not too happy about the situation, I'm not too happy about my kind of science fiction on television. Although you know, I I still I loved X Files. I just wish that every new science fiction show didn't have to be X Files again. You know mm, what I mean? Right. You know, and, and what's funny is Receivers. Is, Receiver is very is very X Files, but I think it's a it's a it's more again it's more there's more effects involved and it's less of the 
conspiracy and more of, the, of, of seeing stuff, which is kind of fun. But uh, I think while the television industry for that stuff is, is not where I, I'm looking to the internet for, for my, you know, my great, my great sci-fi hope. Mm. I mean, and, and look, and I would love to be a part of that. I mean, that's, that's what I, you know, I, I very much like to be doing. Uh, just briefly on Stargate and then I'll let you go. Do you have any conventions lined up in the near future? I don't. I don't. I haven't been. There was a ru- I actually saw that there's a rumor going around that I'm never doing conventions again. <laughs> That is not true. But uh, I have definitely been laying off them recently because I just I felt like the last couple times I've gone, they just felt a bit like work. And I and I don't I don't want to be that guy. Mm. I just don't want to be that guy where I'm, you know, I'm haggling over, you know, what I get paid for this and what I get that. for. I, I want to be yeah. there because I, I want to be there, you know. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I think I owe you know, I owe the fans that. And uh, so, you know, I think I'm, I'm, I've just been sort of taking a break. And uh, I mean, if something comes up, great, you know, but I, I've, I have been saying no to a lot of stuff recently because I, I just, um, you know, I need, I, I need to be all there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, not, not to say that I haven't enjoyed the conventions that I've been at. I just, um, uh, you know, I also want something to talk about. You know, what I, mean? I want to be able to bring more than just, you know, happy memories of a show that I, that I love, but that I haven't done for a, you know, a number of years now, you know, I mean, I know it'll always come back to Stargate. That's great. That's fine with me. But I, I, I really did feel like I needed to, I, I really wanted to bring something new. I mean, you know, Planet of the Apes is a fun one to talk about with people. Uh, Rise mm-hmm. of the Apes. Yeah. It's just, uh, I just feel like I'm in a, a sort of a different place right now. So. Does that give you, conventions give you a chance to reconnect with some of your old castmates that, that maybe you yeah. wouldn't have otherwise? Yeah, and that's uh, castmates, and also just people in the same industry. It's just fun to talk to people about, you know, what we do. You know, what's funny about it is that you know, like when Joe and I are conventions together, we get more time together on stage than we do off stage. Like we have, we have basically have two hour chats on stage because we don't get a chance to do it during the convention. And I see him so rarely here. I mean, we've just both got, you know, we're both we're both frantically looking for work. You know, we we you know, we've all we both got things going. We've got families and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's it is difficult to stay in touch. Yeah, those guys seem to be really keeping busy. They they keep popping up on my news feeds as, as yeah. their latest project. Joe's doing Metal Hurlant right now. He's doing what? Metal Hurlant Chronicles. Well, what's that? That sounds good. It's an adaptation. It's an anthology series. It's an adaptation of a French comic that's apparently a really big deal. Um, Ooh, so it's like a 30-minute anthology episode that he's shooting. Wow. He finds neat stuff. He just yeah. worked with, like... I think he used to be like a, like a space action hero with a chiseled jaw. Oh, that's neat. He's Well, he'd be good, he'd be good at that. Uh, i got to bug him more. They, there's got to be some kind of, like, loser sidekick that I could be playing. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, look, I mean, they're all, they're all very talented. They're all, you know... I think what's great about Stargate is it gives us a certain cachet i mean it's it works you know what i mean that's the that's the reason why we get these sci-fi movies and stuff is that is that you know is because of the stargate fan you know i was lucky enough to be involved in some sci-fi before that but but stargate is definitely the was definitely the one you know it's it's always and it's always good to see people work i mean it was so cool i mean seeing jason as conan and you know i heard about and joe Joe was talking about working with i guess it was was it jean-claude ben damme he's just worked with on something yeah Uh, yeah. um you know and Rach, like Rach, is always doing episodic stuff. Um, I mean, she she never stops. So it's 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 really good, really good to see. And uh, I guess and Jules working with with uh, Martin Garrow on a show up in Toronto, and it's just cool. I, I, oh, she doing his new show? I think so. Yeah, yeah. But she was on a po- yeah yeah that, yeah I think that's his show. Yeah, I think that's I think I've got the right one. 
they're all talented people. They all work all the time. You know what I mean? So uh, I, yeah, I do. I do wish I see them. I saw them more. But like, like you know, it was great working with Picardo and on uh, Morlocks because I, again, I so rarely see him, and he's just a lovely, lovely guy. And then Mitch Pileggi, I heard, I heard about the other day because I was talking to a guy who I won't mention. I'm not allowed to say anything other than he was working. He works for a game company, and and apparently Mitch had come in for a game, and they were all mm. excited. And and then I said, I got to say, well, I know Mitch very well, and they were like all excited. So, so I got to be a hero because of Mitch Pileggi, the surprisingly sexy Mitch Pileggi, who I must call because it's been way too long. I've been living here for a year now. I still haven't called Mitch Pileggi. It's shameful. Yeah. I just wrote a Mitch Pileggi news story. He got he got a part on the new Dallas remake. Oh, seriously? You hear about this? Yeah. Oh, he's perfect for that. Yeah. Who's What's he playing? Uh, surprisingly sexy. Surprisingly sexy. I think it's like a, a local businessman, entrepreneur. Very Something good. Like He's not going to be a nice man. I tell you that. He won't be nice. That poor Mitch is the sweetest guy on the planet. He just looks so evil. He's a great guy. He is. Yeah, he's absolutely good. I, we, I, we were so lucky, the people we worked with on that show. I mean, it really, it really is amazing. You know, you know well, hey, Chris Judge, that man. Mm-hmm. You know, how cool is that? We don't know how big his part is yet, but apparently he's in it. Who cares? He's in Batman. Yeah. I don't care how big it is. I'd walk by and get get shot i'd be done down there yeah let me ask you just sort of the serious target question that, that i oh, think people too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. want to hear you talk about which is as somebody who's potentially a quote-unquote insider at least in the film and television process if not uh, sort of in the, the goings-on right now obviously at mgm in your opinion what do you think mgm is looking for in the future of stargate whenever it comes along if it's sooner if it's later what do you think uh, from their perspective, might be the best way to breathe new life into the franchise. Is it a is it a feature film reboot? Is it going back to Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich? Is it another television series? Is it something on the cheap? I don't know. I mean, I it, I would totally be guessing. I mean, I'm guessing along with everyone else out there. You know, mm. I I would think that given the way the industry is these days, that that I mean, a Stargate move like a real. Stargate reboot movie, like the original movie type thing, would be the most would be my most likely guess. But um, you know, because because as I say, these kind of television shows they don't really get made anymore. So you know, if I was going to guess, I would go with movie. But uh, uh, I think it's so new, the wounds are still so fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that I, I think they you know I, I think it's I think it's going to take a while before it comes around again. You know, yeah. I think it needs it needs some time to sort of. People need some time to grieve before we, you know, they start they start bringing that stuff back. Um, you know, hey, I obviously I would, you know, I would love to see it. I'd love to be a part of it. But uh, you know, I think chances are it's going to be they'll, you know, they need to move on and do something do something new with it. So, yeah, hell, I'd love to see a new movie. I'd love to see. I mean, I love the original Stargate. <laughs> I'd love to see another one of those movies. But I think there's also the other problem with the franchise that's been around for so long as as, as long as Stargate has. There's an awful lot of people with their fingers in the in the in the pie at this point, so it gives a lot of people that have to be happy and a lot of contracts that have to be you know um, adhered to in order to make anything happen. I think that it's it's hard enough to make anything these days as it is without all that stuff. You know, I'd love to see it though. 